Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Aaron Webb, 22 and a half year veteran of the fire service. Began his journey young at the age of 19 when he joined the Charlotte Fire Department. Currently a backstep firefighter on Rescue 10, where he has rode for the last 20 years as the senior man. Aaron believes in family, brotherhood, and having a tight bond beyond the four walls of the firehouse. With that, I present Mr. Aaron Webb. My name's Aaron Webb. I'm a 22 and a half year member of the Charlotte Fire Department. And the way I got into the fire service, uh, essentially I was that kid that at three or four years old was always enamored and loved fire trucks. The only thing I said that I ever wanted to do, and I guess not 40 years old, it's something that I've never grown out of. Um, I had an uncle that was a Charlotte firefighter, and I, mo- I come down one summer to help him move. And when I did, me and him got to talking. I was 17, about to graduate high school, and he was asking what I wanted to do. And you know, I was telling him that my dream, my childhood dream of being a firefighter had never changed. And he taught me to go ahead and put in an application. So at the time, I, me and my family had moved up to Cleveland, Ohio, so we weren't living in the area. Um, so I put in an application, and about two years later, it was about a two-year hiring process. Uh, but at 19 years old, I got hired on the Charlotte Fire Department and have been there ever since. That's crazy. 19 years old. Damn, you got me beat. I started when I was, I got hired in my career department when I was 22. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's pros and cons to it, to getting hired that young. Pluses and minuses, just like anything else. Okay. Uh, back then, when you started your uh, recruit academy, was it as long as it is now or was it shorter? It was a lot shorter. When I come through, it was 16 weeks. Okay. Copy that. All right. All right. So with that being said, you have been on Rescue 10 for 20 years as a backstep firefighter. Have you you ever thought to yourself, like, I want to get promoted? Or was it always, I'm just going to be a firefighter till I retire? I've gone back and forth on that. Um, initially, when I got hired, my thought process, you know, I had very little experience uh, with fresh out of high school, basically. And my thought was I want to learn as much as I could before I ever got promoted. And I made the decision that I would never get promoted for money. You know, I never I didn't get into the job for money. Um, so I wasn't going to make a career decision that was based on any monetary benefit whatsoever. Uh, and then I got on the rescue and. Just the crew that I was with, you know, my whole crew had been together uh, until our driver retired a few years back for about 16 years. So I think we just kind of fell into this place. So I don't want to say complacency, but everything was so good. It was like, why change it? I mean, everything worked well. Um, You know, we knew each other's kids and wives and we had become such a family unit. It was almost like, I don't know, it, it was almost... It was great because it's great to work in that atmosphere, but it also probably held us back a little bit because not many of us got promoted until recently. We've had a couple guys make driver. Okay. But you, you did state that you and your crew were together for 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my crew were together for 16 years until our driver retired a few years back. 
That's unheard of. I can tell you that. I mean, I, I know it happens in like big cities, big municipalities, but that's crazy to have a crew that stayed together that long. Like that just shows right there. Like I'm sure you guys knew each other frontwards, backwards, left, right. Like you knew what, I'm sure you, you, you all knew what each other were thinking. Oh, for sure. And it, it made it, it made it so easy. Um, and, and you just got this level of comfort no matter what it was you were going to, you knew each other's strengths and weaknesses and it just made it, uh, it made working together. It, it made it really hard to leave. Yeah, I bet so. Um, I was going to, oh, okay. Here's my question. Um, so you're on the rescue. What drew you to that? Because like I always poke fun and make fun of, um, I'm sure, you know, uh, Captain Joel Cherry. Yeah. Yeah. I know Captain Cherry. Joel's one of my good friends and I'm, I'm going to say it too. I, I'm, I've already told him, so it's not like an embarrassment, but he's like one of my mentors as well. And um, I always give him hell because I'm like, hey, you know, Rescue Tens Varsity and and y'all are JV, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, funny, haha. But serious. Um, but all jokes aside, though, I give you guys credit because you have to be a jack of all trades to be on that truck. From rope rescue, low angle, high angle, confined space. Um, I think Charlotte still does actual put. You guys actually put divers still in the water, correct? Yes, sir. Yep, we still dive. So like. How did you come to the conclusion like, hey, this is what I want to do instead of being on an engine or a ladder truck? Well, the, the captain that uh, ran us a bunch of rookie school, Stanley Reed, he's, he's retired chief now. But um, he ended up once he come out of the academy, uh, once he left the academy as a train officer, he went to Rescue 10. And so that was one of the things he called me uh, when I was at the fire, when I was at 11. I kind of got lucky because they went to a point system around that time where the different certifications you had got you different points. Mm -hmm. So it kind of helped with the lack of seniority that I had and the statesman that I went to ended up getting USAR. So at that time they were making dive um, mandatory to be at station 10 or three. And a lot of people didn't want to dive. So a couple spots opened up and he called me and was like, hey, would you would you want to come out the engine for a little while, get learned up a little bit, and then come to the rescue? And, man, I, I was like a, a kid being recruited by, you know, Duke or Michigan or something like that for me. Um, it was <laughs> like, you know, it, it was one of the – I remember that phone call and not sleeping at night and being so excited and, like, running around the station because I was always into doing more. I love the fact that they, and this isn't a knock on any engineer or ladder company, um, but I love the fact that we didn't just do what the engines and ladders do. We were responsible for a lot more than that, and that always kind of piqued my interest. No, that's awesome. Like I said, um, I give anybody that's on a, a dedicated heavy rescue credit, like I said, because you have to know from your your ropes, your knots, uh, stabilization, uh, crazy extrications. So yeah, no, definitely. Um, kudos to you for, for definitely being on a truck that long. That is, I mean, I've always heard it, but I've never actually got to speak to somebody that's like, yeah, I've been on this, I've been on this apparatus for 20 years. So, and that's, that's awesome. It's awesome. Well, it's crazy. I, they're the guy, there's another guy that I went um to rookie school with that's on the back with me there. And he got there about six months before I did. 
but he's been on it even longer than me. And that, it, that's kind of how it's sort of a tradition. That there's a guy who retired a little bit ago, Jeff Stevenson. He was on it, I think, for 24 years when he retired. That's awesome. And, and um, uh, you guys always ride five on the rescues, right? Minimum of four, right. or is it always five? It's always five. So we're assigned six, and then we ride five. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, that's also plus two because I mean, not many areas can can put five guys on a rescue every day, dedicated minimum staffing five. So that that is uh, another testament to Charlotte for sure. I appreciate it. You know, we're very lucky. Just the to, to touch on one point that you made um, about having to know a little bit about everything. That's another place where being together with a crew so long comes in play because you know the guys who have, uh, you know, our, we all know our skill sets. So if it's <laughs> something that they know Webb's good at, then that we kind of lean on me for that area. When it comes to use our stuff, building construction, we've got two guys that built houses forever. So we kind of lean on them, you know. So that's another area where knowing your crew and being together so long really becomes an asset because nobody can be extremely good at everything. Right. And you're going to have some weaknesses. And, and knowing that about each other really makes it easier and, and better to do the job. Okay. All right. Uh, what would you say the culture's like within your station? How is it at the Rock at Station Ten? I love it. Um, we there's not a lot of turnover, so when you get a new person there, um, at least like I said, my shift we were together for 16 years, so there we've had two new since I've been there. I think we've had three new people come in, and two of those were promotions, and then one was a retirement. So. We're very family oriented. Um, the expectations are high, but we've all been there so long that when one person comes in, you know, I think sometimes you lose culture when there's huge changes with three or four or five people, mm -hmm. or it's hard to keep the same people. Mm -hmm. When one person's coming in and coming out, it's kind of hard to change the dynamic. And the uh, the the legacy there, the the expectation, like you said, if they call you the varsity then you're expected to do more. You're expected to to hold up to a certain level and standard. And I love the fact that the people that come there kind of know that they want to work. They want to be that person. But on the flip side, um, I, I think they're, they're truly a family. There's a guy named Fisher who retired a while back, and I thought he put it perfectly. He said, you know, you never have to worry about one person going down at 10. If somebody goes down in the fire, there's going to be four or five of them standing next to them. And I think that kind of puts in a perspective. We're, we're just down for each other like that. And that doesn't go just in the firehouse, but at home, you know, we help each other put decks in our houses or retile our bath. I was retiling my bathroom and tore my Achilles. And two of the guys came over and finished it for me. You know, and basically I just bought them lunch because I couldn't really do anything. But those are the things that go beyond the fire service to me that make it worth it, that they keep you out of place for 20 years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a sense of family and bond. I could just tell just by listening to you uh, at your station. Yeah, for sure. Their, their kids, you know, call us, our kids call each other uncle or not and that kind of thing. I mean, it, it calls and all that stuff are cool. 
And it, it's definitely part of the reason I'm there, but the part of the reason you stay there and you do the extra training and do the extra work and, and all that is because of the extra part. It's the, the other stuff, in my opinion, that, that keeps you there. It might not be what gets you there, but it's what keeps you there. Right. Right. Okay. Um, and I actually forgot this question because I know, but I'm sure there are some listeners out there who don't know much about Charlotte. So can you tell us the size of Charlotte Fire Department, how many stations, uh, things like that? Yes, we have uh, 43 fire stations. Um, there's about 1,200 firefighters right now, active duty. Um, we have, and I, I'm sorry about the the thinking because we just, we've just added some ladders and that kind of thing. So I believe we have 17 ladders now. 17 ladder companies, and then obviously 44 engine companies because station 65 has two engines at it. Mm-hmm. We have two heavy rescue companies, two hazmat companies, and then we have a, well, actually, we just added a third. So we have three hazmat companies, and then one of which is a regional response team. And then uh, one of the things we're probably more proud of or most proud of is our USAR compilation we can put together. Usually within about four hours, we can get a 72 person roster prepared to go on a deployment anywhere from seven to 10 days and be self-sustainable with tents, generators, food, water, you know, the, the whole nine. Like we can self-sustain about 72 people on four to five hours notice for, uh, for seven to 10 days as a USAR component. All right. Um, and definitely the way Charlotte is, um, structured station wise you normally would have a station on top of another station in a pretty like i'd say a, you know a pretty decent amount of time right like if a if a box comes in yeah our our goal is to have a at least one truck on scene within four minutes and then within six minutes we're supposed to have a second truck on the scene okay all right um, with that being said, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue loving this job? Wow, that's a good question. Um, one, I feel like our lives depend on it. Um, this isn't the type of job I think you can mail in and just show up to. So not only does my life depend on it, but when you're together, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, Billy's life also depends on it, but I know Nathan, Billy's son, so Billy's dad's life depends on it. So I think, especially being at the rescue, you know, I can only speak from that because, like I said, I wrote an engine company for a year when I was 19 years old. So the vast majority of my career, this is what I've known. And it's one of the reasons I think being on the rescue, you have to stay engaged and involved because they're all perishable skills. It's not just because you learn how to tie a knot. You always know how to tie that knot. You have to continue to practice and still talk your game. And things change. I'm in the diving world. You know, we've grown those calls where, and this really put it in perspective, we went to a call, and I'm not going to say what happened in terms of why this firefighter was killed, but things happened and a firefighter was killed. And so I don't know how many people have gone to calls where another firefighter actually died, but that almost got us out of the dive business. That was one of those situations where you had to make a decision like, are we going to do this or we're we not going to do this? Is it worth it? Is the risk worth the reward? 
And if you're going to do it, then you have to be all in. And part of being all in is staying on top of your game, training, staying on the best techniques, learning, you know, not getting complacent, but learning new stuff. You can't get stalemated in what you knew and how we used to do it because if better ways come out, then you got to be willing to adopt those or else you get left behind. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and I, uh, if I remember correctly, um, you guys still, and I'm when I mean you, I mean both rescues still perform. Is it like quarterly water uh, rescue type training or dive training, I should say? Yeah, we, we dive at least six times a year, um, one of which has to be a cold water dive. And then you've got to get at least 18 in three years. And that's just to keep the certification. Um, but we, I think we go above and beyond on that, to be honest with you, because we'll, we'll, we dive about six times a year as far as training, just a little more than quarterly. And then we typically will get two or three dives per time we go. And some of the reason you do that is because vacation, you know, sick, so FMLA, someone's always going to end up missing one or two of the trainings. So you try to do it to where everybody can get all of it and you don't end up having to get a bunch of dives at the end of the three year cycle. Okay. All right. Um, with you starting at such a, a young age, I'm sure it has, but I just want to hear it from you. How has Charlotte Fire Department changed from the first day you were riding Engine 11 to now riding Rescue 10? Uh, we've gotten bigger, for one. When I got hired, we had just opened Station 32. And now, like I said, we're up to 43, and there's already plans for two more. So we've, we've grown tremendously. Uh, one of the bigger changes is rookie school. Like I said, now I think they go for almost six months. And when I got hired, we went for 16 weeks. Uh -huh. So I think that's a huge change. Obviously, we've gotten young grads at apartment, which is good. And that, that comes with, like anything else, just pluses and minuses to that. But we've gotten younger as a department. Um, the leadership has definitely changed. You know, before, prior to Chief Johnson, who's our chief now, uh, everybody had been from inside the department. And now we've had our first outside chief come in. And I don't say outside as, as if he's an outsider. I think he's done some really good things since he's been there. But just like anything else, with change comes some sort of some sense of growing pains. So there's been some growing pains there. And then just society as a whole, which as anything else, can be good and bad. You know, there's things that they got away with when I got hired 22-some-odd years ago that you just can't get away with now. Right. And some of those things are good, and then some of those things, you know, you've lost a little bit of tradition. But I guess if, if you ask the person who was getting painted if it's good that they don't paint rookies anymore, then they'll probably tell you that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. Um whether it's short-term or long-term, what are your ultimate goals? I'd like to leave the department uh, in, a, in a better place, especially Rescue 10, because that's my home, uh, better or as good as where I found it. When we got, when I got to the rescue, it was, we had pretty big shoes to fill because the guys that we were replacing had been there for a long time. And I think we've done a pretty decent job of uh, not replacing them, but but holding that standard. And I just want to make sure that the the guys or girls that follow the group that's there now um, know what it means to ride the back of that truck 
and continue to let that legacy live on and withhold that standard. I think that's the best gift I could ever give to that truck long term is make sure that when I leave, the person who takes my spot is prepared to hold or take that standard even to the next level. And then short term, man, it, it's been, it's almost embarrassing to say, it's been 23, 24 years in the making, but I'm finally going to finish my degree after this semester. So, uh, fire science and technology. So short term, I, I just want to get that done. That was a promise I had made, man. And I didn't listen to, to my mother and, she was like, do it before you have a family. And then I got married and had kids and all that. And I allowed that promise to not get fulfilled. But I'm I'm within one semester of finishing it. So that, that would be my short term goal. <laughs> okay. No, congrats. I mean, like I said, I mean, it, it, it took you probably longer than expected, but you're still about to cross that goal line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, I'm going to get it done. Like I said, I'm, I'm already registered for the classes. It's, I got a math class and an introduction to computers, and that's it. Okay. And so um, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear that. All that study work, um, syllabuses. Uh, I don't know if they still use Blackboard, man. I have to show my age. Um, they, man, they do. And that's the crazy thing. Like when I first got back in it um, about a year ago, trying to finish up, I, I was telling instructors, you know, because one, everything's online now. There's really no going to classes for it. And I was telling them, like, hey, the last book report I wrote, like, I actually wrote it, you know? So I haven't done this in a long time. And the hardest part has definitely been getting my computer-savvy skills back up. Yeah, it's one of those things. You don't realize how much you lose it if you don't use it, you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Oh. And I never got great at it because we computers weren't, you know, it's like when I first got on, you did reports by hand. You hand wrote your reports out. So, like, okay. a lot of this stuff is, you know, even in the fire service, a lot of stuff has changed. It's been a big change. Right. Right. Okay. Um, in your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter, regardless of rank? I think uh, being self-motivated because you never know how good or bad your captain's going to be. So I think you have to be self-motivated and be able and willing to learn things on your own. Um, if you expect someone else to make you a good firefighter, then I think it, you're being unfair to yourself and you're being unfair to that person. So I think self-motivation is, is absolutely one of them. And then being humble. I, I, I think we underestimate um, humility sometimes in the fire service because that's been one of the few things that has allowed me to learn. Uh, is mo However much I've learned, being humble has, has truly helped me out on that because it doesn't matter who's teaching you. So mm -hmm. if you ride the back of rescue and you got a person from the engine coming in that learned something on a knot, or learn some anchor system that you don't know because, you know, maybe they work in a department or they came from a department that did a lot of mountain stuff and they can show you something. Having the thought process that what's the engine guy going to show me about knots and I ride the rescue, you miss out on great opportunities and great information that way. So I think humility and being willing to learn from whatever source is trying to teach you or take something out of whatever class you get 
uh, I, I think has has really done me well so far in my career. Okay, well said. Well said for sure. Um, if you couldn't ride the rescue anymore and you had to choose the engine or ladder, which one would you choose? I'm gonna say engine, and I say that because to me the ladder is a lot like the rescue. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do something different, I might as well do something different. Okay. Like, I, I think if, if I had to leave Rescue Team, I would want to go drive an engine company. Okay. So that'd be about the most opposite thing I could do than ride the back of the rescue. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I just figure I'd, I'd like to ask, I'd like to hear, um, you know, different people's input on that. So, especially with you riding a truck um, or, or a specific apparatus as long as you have. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm, no, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, I, I've always enjoyed my time out since and companies and that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, no, it's just, I was just saying that. I think that's, if I'm not going to do what I'm doing, then I want to do the exact opposite of what I'm doing. Okay. It would challenge me in a way. It, it'd be very challenging then okay. to learn that skill set as well. Um, it's funny you mention that because I was actually wondering. So with you having, you said you're assigned six, but minimum of five. Uh, are there times where uh, personnel on the rescue have to travel to another station? Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, we supply engine 10 first if they're short. But if, uh-huh. if, every, if the station is 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 correct, then we get sent on timeout. Okay. So there, yeah, we might, there's no telling where you might end up riding at. Okay. Um, on any given day. Gotcha. I just wanted to know, because I, I, I do know that you, you do cross staff between rescue 10 and engine 10. So um, I didn't know if there was a chance where if you were full, like somebody has to actually leave the station to go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. They try to keep you in the battalion, but um, yeah, there's no telling where though you'll go wherever there's a spot needed if it's your turn. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> what would you say to a hungry, eager, motivated firefighter who feels like they're surrounded or being held back by a, a non-complacent culture? If at all possible, I would tell them to, to go somewhere else. I know that's not that's not possible in all departments. That's one of the good things about if you're a young Charlotte firefighter, there's three shifts and like I say, 43 other stations you can be at. So I would say put in a transfer if in Charlotte, if you're at a department where you can't do that, my suggestion would be take as many classes as you can, because there's people out there who are willing to teach you who um, you don't have to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you don't have to be held back by your surroundings. Um, there's YouTube videos. There's podcasts you can listen to. There's training classes you could take. And most departments will pay for uh, for you to go do that training or at least give you the time off. So I would say, really, there's no excuse. Um, I'm When I get back uh, in town, actually, all next week, I'm going, I'm actually leaving the beach early. My family will be here for a week and a half. I'm leaving next Sunday to go back and take a class at Mitchell Community College uh, for unit supply leader to help out with like the special operations deployment part of the USAR stuff. So no matter how long you've been on, even if you're have been on a long time, I feel like maybe you've gotten stagnant. 
Mm -hmm. um, there's always other places you can go and learn things. You're not confined to the walls in which you work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, one there. All right. Um, in your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? Oh, man. I think now, um, and this is one of the things that I'll say just from personal experience that I probably wasn't prepared for, was the the mental aspect of it. Um, I, I think, you know, when I come through rookie school, I was probably, we talked earlier and I was saying how there's pros and cons being 19 and getting hired. There was things that I had to see and do that I think emotionally and mentally I wasn't quite ready for. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that, and it's no fault of anybody's, but I don't know that I was, uh, like that I just, I was prepared for that properly. And so I, I think we could do a better job of catching people before they're too late. I think if you look at, um, some of the suicide rates among firefighters, some of the, the problems that we've had with, uh, it, whether it be spousal abuse or divorce rates or drinking rates, or, you know, just some of the issues that, um, you see starting to rise and creep up in the fire service. I think a lot of that goes back to not properly knowing how to process and handle some of the things that you're going to be asked to see and do and juggle the home life of having a wife and having children. And, you know, so many times you're on a call and you have to shut down certain parts of your, your psyche, whether it be them, you know, you're, you're doing CPR on a kid and you have kids at home. Mm-hmm. Nobody really, I don't know that we do a great job of teaching each other how to handle that other than, going back to the station and making some kind of crash joke about it and then moving on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of those things that we as a, as a family could pay more attention to and make sure that the young ones coming in have these coping mechanisms so that um, they don't turn into future problems later. No, very well said. That's, 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 yeah, that's one of those things where, I mean, I, most, most organizations, most departments can somewhat start i guess maybe talk about it but until the individual actually actually has to deal with it on a call it's it's something where yeah it's one of those like i don't want to say taboo but you know i I don't know many organizations that are that are preparing the recruits for that you know what i mean like this is is what you're going to see this is what you're going to smell this is what you're going to have to hear and um, it, it is a lot. It is a lot, especially when it's like a, a CPR call and you have to tell the family, hey, I'm sorry, we did everything we could, but the person's deceased. Like, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree. And that's where I meant about being proactive. Uh, the very first call I went on, like I said, I was 20 by the time I got to rugby school, but as a firefighter, it was a CPR. And it was two brothers. You know, I was homesick. It was my first time ever been away from home. Uh, it was two brothers who got in a fight. And then overnight, one of them died of a heart attack. And we get them. We're doing CPR on him. And they stopped us. And, you know, and hearing them tell the other brother and watching him cry. And I have an older brother that I'm extremely tight with. And he's my best friend. And watching that, it was one of those things. It was like, man, I, I, I very first call, it's like I was not expecting this. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just one of those things that, instead of being reactive and waiting until the person has gotten to the point where they've got such a problem that they have to go talk to somebody, we can be a little proactive and, and prepare them for, this is what you're going to see. These are some of the things you're going to have to deal with because we all know fighting fire. Um, we've had, it's been a busy summer for Charlotte this year, 
but it's still one of the things that we do less in the in the fire service. The medical industry, the um, dealing with people on a, on a personal basis is probably a far bigger part of our job than most of us ever expected it to be. And I think it's the part that we train and prepare for the least. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're definitely right about that. Like we, we, it's funny because anything fire related, you know, we make sure we get the proper training, the proper tech techniques, tips and tricks. But when it comes to your psyche on medicals, uh, things of that nature, um, we don't, and I, I think it's slowly changing. I think it's changing, definitely trending more towards the good, but there are still some organizations within the country that, you know, they, they don't even talk about that. And, and if you, if you, most people like when they say, Hey, I might have a problem, you know, certain people that they work with might be like, Hey, just kind of shake it off, bro. Or, you know what I mean? Like it's part of the job and stuff like that, where, you know, we, we, we could, we could probably do a little bit more than just, you know, tell them to shake it off or, you know, go do something or whatever, you know, to, to, to relieve that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think another problem, it, it, I, I say problem, and I don't mean this as like, oh, I'm coming down the fire service. Like I said, I, I wouldn't dedicate as much of my life to it as I have if, if I had a true issue with the fire service. It's right. just in terms of being thorough about answering the question. Um, a lot of the help that they seek, like if you go and you say, hey, I need help, a lot of times you get turned to sources outside of the fire service people who may not understand exactly what it is you do and you end up you know spending half your time explaining and, and i know this i've had some friends who have had some issues um you end up having to explain your job to people and it's hard to get help from somebody who you have to explain what you do to so i think we could do a better job of like we do with a lot of our training train them in-house get people in-house trained up so that it's a peer that you see who wears the same t-shirt, the same badge that you wear that's coming in to help you through this problem. And I think that would be a, a decent first step, you know, in, in kind of working through some of that. Have a day in rugby school where a firefighter who is trained in some sort of peer mediation comes in and talks to you. It's just like, yeah. oh, man, that's, that's Wade from Rescue 10. And he's here telling me some of the things I want to see and how – some of the issues that he may have when he was younger and how he's learned to cope with some of those things and, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that would go a long way to helping the young ones not feel the peer pressure of not saying anything because they see a person maybe that they respect in the fire service thanks to this on the same department as them that's telling them it's okay to not always be okay after every call. Like some calls are going to not bother you. They probably should. Some call that you wouldn't expect to bother you is going to affect you in a way that you weren't really looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, I didn't ask you before. I I wanted to ask you behind the scenes, but um, were you working uh, at a recent five banger y'all had? <laughs> I was. Uh, uh, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. What I was going to say about that was. That to me, that call was like the Super Bowl of all calls. Like you guys had from life safety, property conservation, Maydays. Like you had a, a, 
a, a true what what people would probably like put in a scenario or like you know a, a drill at the training grounds you guys actually had that come into fruition on an actual call yeah it was crazy some of the things that you were hearing on the radio um one i never thought i'd ever hear at a fire and two if i was taking a promotional exam and this was my practical, and this was the scenario you gave me. I was like, "Come on, man!" Like, exactly. Right. Like, yeah. Like, like, there's no way. Like, this wouldn't happen. Right. You wouldn't have a rescue at the same time you had a mayday. At the same time you had, you know, damn near city block burning. At the same time that a building two blocks over caught fire from an ember from this building. Like, it just wouldn't happen that way. Right. And, right. and you know, and then it happened that way. <laughs> Um, I, I can tell you, I listened to the audio um, once it was released, and man, I mean, I know a good number of guys on Charlotte, but y'all did a hell of a job. I mean, nobody was really, at least from what I, at least the audio, the audio transcript I, I heard, nobody was really yelling. Everybody was precise. Everybody was like, hey, this is what we need. This is where we need it. This is what we need to get done. Like, it was... It was hands down like one of those. Yeah, you would think if you were taking the captain's assessment, you'd be like, seriously, who wrote this? But no, <laughs> you guys really had that all going on at the same time. I think what made it successful was um, command did a great job of compartmentalizing everything. So switching certain rescue calls to different channels and so that it felt like every small uh, no pun intended fire that was happening like you could kind of concentrate on that so if it was a car in the parking deck hey you three companies you're gonna work on that car in the parking deck if it was a dude in the tower rescue you're gonna work with state power patrol and you know like y'all gonna worry about the dude in the, in the in the crane um you know ladder you're gonna worry about this so it, it was I, I think if you try to 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 bite that whole thing at once I, I don't see how you do it. I thought they did an excellent job of compartmentalizing and saying, all right, we're going to take each of these events that are happening as a single event, and we're going to take care of that. And then as that gets taken care of, we'll move our crews to the next event. Like I said, and then when the building fire happened across the street, it was like start calling people and get people back to work because even, you know, our department is, I won't say as big as Charlotte, but like we're pretty well staffed. Uh, you start running out of resources real quick and you need to make sure that you're not sending somebody who worked their absolute tell off at this one to the one two blocks over mm -hmm. and asking them to get back on it. You know, so uh, it, it was a crazy day. I'm, I'm glad I was working. Uh, I hope I never do it again. <laughs> um, so I'm assuming you guys were was rescue 10 on the initial working fire dispatch or were, or were you guys on the initial box? Yeah. The, once it went working, um, and it went working pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So all that happened pretty fast. And then once it went working, rescue team was, uh, was added. And so I was at, uh, the special ops building actually working on a, a project for, um, for the, for special ops. And I was, so I was reporting there, and got called from the division chief. He's like, hey, grab Rescue 89, which is a fully stocked reserve rescue. And he's like, take it to the South Park fire. He's like, you know, turn on the radio. There's a big fire for South Park. Take the truck there. So I took the truck there for support. And when I got there, I met up with the rescue, you know, and I, and I 
because it was my shift, my crew, and I tell him Belcher, I was like, what do you need? And he's like, hey, get start getting his, like, start running our truck, get everything so that we might need anchors. He's like, I don't know what we're going to need, but just start start running our truck. He's like, I'm going to go down to the, the crane where they are and see what they need. And so, you know, fortunately, um, that guy ended up being able to basically getting, you know, uh, I think Murphy ticking a pair of gloves and he was able to kind of climb down himself. But I was mainly preoccupied with that portion of the fire. Okay. Uh, and then a guy run up to me and was like, hey, grab Rescue 89, let's go. And I'm thinking, like, at this point, the guy had been rescued from the crane, the Maydays were over. It was basically ladders up, putting, you know, the, the middle corridor of that building out. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hurry up, we got to go. And I'm thinking, what what could we possibly be going to with this going on? Mm-hmm. And that was a building across the street had caught fire. And uh, this is, I don't even know if I should say this on the podcast. This probably getting in trouble. But we drove there. We ended up stacking in on that building fire. We'll get the roof to that one's burning. Uh, there's a crew that has made its way. Well, they're going in the front door. We pull up the initial crew. They make their way to the roof and not terribly excited, but a little bit excited saying that they needed saws to the roof and that kind of thing. And I had just left the other fire. So I was literally in uh, in my blue pants and a T-shirt running saws up to the roof. You know, uh, I think it was a six-story building. So I'm running saws up to the roof and hooking up standpipes with the one of the training officers that it showed up. We're hooking up blinds in the stairwell and standpipes, like literally in, in pants and a T-shirt. Right, right. I was like, man, this is absolutely nuts. <laughs> and I was like, there's, there's very little smart about this, but it was just one of those, hey, especially leaving that one, I think everybody's a little bit on high alert. It's like, we got to get this done, you know? Yeah, so yeah. It, like I said, it, it was cool. It's one of those things that I'm I'm thrilled to death that I was able to be a part of it, and I look forward to never doing it again. No, absolutely, hell of a day. I mean, I remember watching on the news. I'm like, damn, fucking Charlotte, always burning something. <laughs> damn. Uh, no, but that's crazy, man. Um, but I know, I seriously, I, I appreciate appreciate you accepting my invitation, coming on, willing to talk shop. Um, it's awesome. I mean, for, 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 for me, from my perspective, it's awesome to see, to talk to another firefighter that's been in the back for 20 years. Uh, I am going on my 16th year as a, as a backstep fireman myself. Um, I might make that transition, um, coming up maybe, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still weighing, weighing my decisions on whether I want to get promoted or not to move up to the front, uh, left seat permanently and then when my captain's off or whoever whenever an officer's off i have to switch roles over to the right seat but um it's just great meeting somebody and talking to somebody that 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 still has that passion to be in the back and and that's good at their job so i i appreciate it well i appreciate that and and what i'll tell you is uh you know People come to me all the time, like, hey, when are you going to get promoted? When are you going to get promoted? But then um, they also truly miss having a senior firefighter, too, on the back. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's I, – I, I, not just because I am one, but I think being a senior firefighter, too, is still the backbone of the, the department because you're that informal leader. The captain shouldn't have to say things to the new guy because that should be – you know, I feel like that's my responsibility. I'm the one that makes sure that everybody knows – 
how we run things on the back of rescue team so the captain doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And then obviously if it, you know, the engineer, the driver, whatever's that next step. And that person kind of, you know, I've been on longer than my driver. So it's one of those, like, he still kind of comes to me and Billy and, Hey, what do y'all think about this? And that kind of thing. So I, I, kudos to you too, man, for being on the back as long as you have. I, some people look at it as a knock. I personally look at it as a badge of honor. Um, not that there's anything wrong with getting promoted, but the fire department being a bad place if we didn't have senior firefighter twos as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And and you're right. I mean, some people are like, you know, what are you waiting for? Some people is the first chance that they can get to 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 get promoted. You know, they do it. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I was one of those where I wanted to make sure I knew my role, I knew my position, I knew my job to the best of my ability. And then I finally made that jump and I got promoted to relief driver, but I'm still in the back. But um, yeah, I mean, either way, either, and it's different, you know, some people had different motives where they want to get promoted often and fast and early, but that, that just wasn't me. I wanted to make sure I could do the job and I wanted to do it for a while. So um, yeah, like I said, it's just, it's just fantastic uh, talking to another, another individual. Um, such as yourself. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk and shop with me, man. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, Contact me at student of the game fire podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.